All right, open your Bibles, Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1. You know, believe it or not, uh, this is our eighth sermon in Romans chapter 1. Um, I told you early on that, you know, this is the most detailed, in-depth book, in my opinion, throughout the New Testament, so don't be shocked that we've done eight sermons and we've not gone through uh, the first chapter yet, but... Uh, we have all the time in the world. We don't want to blow through God's word and, and just pick up a thing here and there. We want to detail it and try our best to understand it. Well, as we began last week, uh, it was my desire uh, to go through verses 18 through 20. But uh, as I was sharing with Dave, after uh, just looking at the first few words there in verse 18, we spent probably 80 to 85% of our time dealing with those words. And the reason is because of a very common misconception coming from those first four words, and if you remember those, they are the wrath of God. People sometimes have a hard time using the word wrath or judgment in the same sentence if not talking about God himself. Too many people, including professing believers, have this mindset that God is love, and that's it. He, that's it. God is just love, and there's nothing else to that. They create in their own imagination what they believe God is. And then they say things like, well, the God that I worship would never do this. The God that I worship would never do that. They spend so much time playing make-believe in their own minds about the God that they've created in their heads, they really have no idea who God truly is. And therefore, I felt it was important to, to take a look at the Scriptures uh, in order to understand those words, the wrath of God. Now, the reason for the wrath of God which, by the way, is the very same reason that God sent Christ to die for us. And that is the universal corruption, sinfulness, depravity of all of mankind. Reading verse 18, he says, The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all of the godlessness and the wickedness of men who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Many of you know, right here in Romans chapter 3, verse 23, it says that all have sinned, doesn't it? All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We are all sinners. We are all depraved. We're all to a point wicked in the eyes of God. Matter of fact, right here in Romans 3, once again, many of you know this as well. He says, there is no one, what? Thank you. Somebody's listening out there. There is no one righteous, not even one. Did you catch that? None. Okay? Folks, any way that you slice it, Romans 5.10, James chapter 4, verse 4, he says in our unredeemed state, he says we are enemies of God. We're enemies of God. People don't like that. They don't contemplate. They think, well, just because I don't do everything the Bible says doesn't mean I'm an enemy. You are. 
you are an enemy of God. Matter of fact, in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 3, he's talking about those who are disobedient, those that Paul says are dead in their transgressions and their sins. He says that we were gratifying the cravings. Catch this. We were gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature, following its desires and thoughts. That's what our focus is. And he says, like the rest, like everybody else, he says, we were, by nature, objects of God's wrath. Objects of God's wrath. Folks, I believe when we understand the holiness of God, the fact that God lets any one of us live to see another day is only by his grace. Don't ever sit around and looking at someone else, well, that's not fair. Well, this isn't fair. I've heard it said many times. Folks, I can't tell you this a number of times. You don't want fairness. The last thing anybody wants is fairness. You want mercy. That's what you want. You want, you need, I need God's mercy. We all deserve God's wrath. We've all sinned. None of us are righteous. We would probably fry if we ever stood in front of the holiness of God. And many times in Scripture, that's exactly what took place. God has proven that He's not just love. Scripture has shown us these things. But for some reason, people will look at Scripture and not bat an eye. But now, today, oh, well, God is, God is love. What, did you miss something in Scripture? <laughs> God's love is truly shown, no question. But so is His wrath. I mentioned some of these last week. Genesis chapters 6 and 7. God flooded the entire earth outside of eight people. He... They all drowned. The entire population on the globe was killed by God's hand. Genesis 18 and 19, he destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. Remember that? He brought burning sulfur down on the entire cities, and only Lot and his family survived. In Jude, verse 7, it says it was because of their sexual immorality and their perversion. I tell you that because there's so many lies out in our world today. Well, uh, it was because you know, they weren't very nice to other people. Or they were inhospitable. No, the Bible says it's because of sexually immoral acts, homosexuality, which he calls perversion. But God destroyed all of them. Exodus 14, God destroyed Pharaoh and his army. Mark, it's in the Red Sea, by the way. Last week I made a, I just off the top of my head said the Jordan River. And, uh, but God destroyed them all, going to the Red Sea, killed them. The water came down, done, destroyed, once again, by the hand of God. Think about all the, uh, the, the peoples, the cities and the nations, the peoples that the Israelites, or maybe I should say the Jews, killed when they went into the promised land. Remember all the ites? <laughs> we call them all the ites? Wiped them out. He used the Jews to bring his wrath upon other people. He could have just did it himself, but he just used the Israelites, the Jews, to do so. 
But even the same God, believe it or not, folks, from the Old Testament is the same God in the New Testament because there's only one true God. We all understand that. Acts 5, you remember the couple, Ananias and Sapphira? That was a tough one, wasn't it? They lied to the Holy Spirit, and God at that very time, right then and there, struck them dead. Dead because they lied. John 3, 18 We're told that those who do not believe are already condemned. They have literally insulted God by rejecting the salvation which his infinite mercy has provided for them. Jesus Christ died on a cross, and they basically just kick it aside. And here's one that I like because it proves a point. Ephesians 5, verses 5 and 6 I like to show the contrast because in our world today, we think of the worst of the worst, whoever that person is. Maybe it's an axe murderer, maybe it's a mass murderer, maybe it's people that just, you know, rape women, dismember bodies, and all these horrible, evil things that people do today. We think of they are the worst, but yet in in Ephesians 5, it says no immoral, impure, or greedy person. You didn't even hear about murder or anything, did you? Those people will not inherit the kingdom of God, which is in Christ. He says, for because of such things, God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient. Sometimes it's hard to swallow. Well, who are the disobedient? He just said, people who are immoral, impure, or greedy. That's obviously not an exhaustive list. But those aren't, those aren't as bad as, I mean, man, that's, you know, there are people much worse than that. There are. But any sin separates us from Almighty God. And of course, it ends in Revelation chapter 20, God's final judgment, right? What we call the great white throne judgment. Those whose names were not written in the Lamb's book of life, he says, will be cast into the lake of fire. Hmm. Folks, God never condemns without just cause. Is God love? Absolutely. Yes, he is, but As I just have shown you, God is also just, and therefore he demands justice. So when we sit back and we think that, man, look what God did to these people, that could any no different than you or me. That's why you want mercy. You want mercy. See, don't ever listen to uh, an uninformed person who is completely ignorant of Scripture who says, well, a loving God would never allow this. A loving God would never send somebody to hell. That is an ignorant individual who has nothing to do with God, has everything to do with what they want, and they've created in their own head. Whenever you hear the question, how do bad things happen to good people? What kind of God is that? It's a lie, folks. There are no good people. We like to use that terminology because, well, I'm better than that person or that person is philanthropic or he gives money to them. It doesn't matter. We're not comparing ourselves with the world. We're compared to God. There are no good people, right? There's no one righteous, not even one. Thankfully, God sent his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, to die for our sin. And if we repent of those sins and turn to him in faith. He says he will forgive us of our sins. And that very judgment that some people receive, that very judgment that you and I deserve, the wrath that God could rain down on you and me, 
he says he will put it on Christ. On that cross. Even today, he will use what Christ did and apply that to you. And that's the love of God. He didn't just condemn people. He offered us all away through the Messiah. He's loving, but he's also just. Now, before we move forward this morning, uh, let me just briefly uh, look at the very end of verse 18, and then we will move into verse 19. He says, The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all of the godlessness and the wickedness of men who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Verse 19 since, that since can also mean because, okay? He's, he's basically saying the wrath of God has come down on those wicked people who suppress the truth. And here's why. Because what may be known about God is plain to them. Because God has made it plain to them. Okay? And the part that I want to remind us of, obviously, here is men who suppress the truth by their wickedness. The suppression of truth takes place due to wickedness. Men stifle the truth of God because it challenges their self-governing, doesn't it? It's either what I say or it's what God says. And as you know, man thinks that he is sovereign, doesn't he? I'm in control. I want my way. I don't really want this. Let me just kick it aside. I don't want what God has to say. Now, folks, we already know that all men are wicked. All men are sinful meaning that we are depraved. We're enemies of God, as I just stated earlier. And as you know, we're told this from Genesis through Revelation. This isn't one little section of Scripture. From the very beginning to the very end, mankind is sinful and depraved. Okay, Jew and Gentile, it doesn't matter. Every person. Therefore, I want you to listen to some of the words that Scripture uses to describe the things that we do, to describe the things that we desire or how we live. Coming from Galatians 5, he says, he speaks of sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, Selfish ambition, dissensions, factions. In case that wasn't enough. Speaking of the, the, the latter days, Paul tells Timothy in chapter 3, or in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 2 through 4, people in the last days, people will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers 
of God. Is that enough words for you right there? <laughs> There's a lot going on, isn't there? And that's not exhaustive, folks. We can go all morning talking about what Scripture says about the heart, the deeds, the desires of man. But here's the kicker. Mankind doesn't commit all these sinful acts because they're ignorant. They know they're sinful acts. They don't do it because they're ignorant. Okay, Folks, people either know the truth because of God's law, right, like the Jews, right? People know the truth of God by the law or because they have a conscience. The Gentiles do not have the law, did not, maybe I should say, did not have the law, but they still had a conscience that bears witness of the law. What do I mean? It's actually in Romans chapter 2, verse 15. It says they show that the requirements of the law are written on their hearts, their consciences also bearing witness. They didn't have the Word of God written in the Law and the Prophets, but God placed what is right on their hearts. Now, the conscience certainly is not going to be as strong as somebody who has consistently been exposed to the Word of God, but the whole point is, is that man has a built-in sense of right and wrong. Okay? It's built-in. We know it. And all that being said, man still chooses his own path. We have a conscience. Some have the very words of God. But because of all that sin we just got through talking about, man still chooses his own path. He wants to do what he desires. And therefore, sin in many different forms stifles, suppresses, to use that biblical word, what man knows is right. It suppresses it. Their wickedness is more important. Their depravity is the most important thing. My life, my desires is most important. And I stifle my own conscience. I stifle the very word of God. All of this, by the way, everything I just said is absolutely true. And it's built on the word of God, period. But, but, is that what Paul means here? Is that what Paul means? What is the wickedness that he's talking about here in verse 18? Is it, is it open-minded? Right? Is it, is it everything I just read about, all those words I, I read in Galatians 5 and 2 Timothy 3? Is it all of those? Is it just open-ended? Is that, is that it? Or is it specific? It's the same thing with the word truth. It's also there in verse 18. What truth does Paul have in mind? Is it truth in general, everything God says, just which is true? Or is it a specific truth? 
Well, as we move into the next couple of verses, Paul is going to show us, at least in this specific text, it's actually specific. I read all those things. I just discussed for the last five minutes everything about the wickedness of men because all those things are true. We stifle God by every and any kind of wickedness. We step on his truth to live our depraved life. But that's not necessarily what's happening in the text. But that is usually how we want to read that. But that's not necessarily what's going on. Still true, we do that. But what does the text say? I'm going to read verse 18 and then go into verse 19. You're going to really know verse 18 by the time I'm through today, by the way. I'm going to ask you to quote it next week. So I'm going to read verse 18 one more time, and then we're going to go right into verse 19. He says, The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and the wickedness of men who suppress the truth by their wickedness, since or because what may be known about God is plain to them because God has made it plain to them. So the truth that God mentioned in verse 18 is the truth of, about God. That's what he just said. The truth he mentioned in verse 18, he tells us in verse 19, it's the truth about God. It's not just truth, just ever-ending. Okay? And that truth about God, he says, was made plain to them by God himself. Did you catch that? The truth is plain to them. God made it plain to them. Okay? God acted as if we're all just so completely ignorant I'm going to make it as plain as I can, simple as I can, okay? Now, those words, by the way, in the NIV, it's uh, made plain. I think the NAS says is evident. It means to show openly. It means to, to make visible. That's pretty much plain, isn't it? <laughs> Matter of fact, for an illustration, in John chapter 7, verse 4, Jesus' brothers are talking to Jesus and they tell Jesus, they say, no one who wants to become a public figure acts in secret. But since you are doing these things, meaning since you're doing all these miraculous things, show yourself to the world. That's the same word. Show yourself. That's that visible, right? Paul is saying here in Romans 1, that's what God did. Folks, God has never left man to his own resources. God has never left man to his own ignorant abilities. But he has graciously provided abundant evidence of himself. Okay? Now listen, man cannot know everything there is to know about God. We're finite. He is infinite. Okay? But what is knowable about God. God, he says, took the initiative and made it clear to sinful man. Even those who reject him, those who live in sin, he made it clear to all of them. Which, by the way, is the whole point at the end of verse 20. Man's without excuse. You don't have any excuses. God threw it right out to you, made it plain. God was not hiding this about himself. He wasn't trying to make this a mystery. 
God purposefully revealed himself and he did it in such a fashion that you just couldn't miss it. One of the early church fathers, he was also an apologist. You may have heard of him. His name is Tertullian. He said that it was not the pen of Moses that initiated the knowledge of its creator, meaning, he, he said, in other words, it wasn't the first five books of the Bible is what he's saying. He said it wasn't the pen of Moses that initiated the knowledge of the creator. The vast majority of mankind, though they had never heard of the name Moses, to say nothing of the books he wrote, They knew the God of Moses nonetheless. Even if I didn't know who Moses was, I didn't have any idea about what he'd written, anything, they knew the God of Moses nonetheless. Listen, folks, this is why God is just in his wrath. Because he has made himself known by himself on purpose to a sinful world. But as we saw in the previous verse, man suppressed it. They stepped on it. They squashed it. Why would I want that and deprive myself of my own personal pleasures, right? In other words, my entire being is so focused on myself, God's revealed truth to me, that's just, that's just getting in my way. And that was especially true, folks, if you were a Jew. Because, you see, the Jews not only had God's natural revelation, the Jews also had his written revelation, didn't they? They did. They had the law and the prophets. Well, right now, in this text, we're actually talking about God's natural revelation. Some of you probably already knew that. You've already figured that out, but I didn't want to use those two words until I hit verse 20. (laughs) I was holding off. But here we're talking about his natural revelation. Okay? I mean, listen, we've already talked about, listen, we've already just got through talking about how God had made it plain to sinful man, didn't we? God made it visible to sinful man. We talked about how the evidence is plain. Man didn't have to look for it. God threw it out there. Here you go for all to see. We spoke of how God's evidence of himself was abundant. It was abundant. And the reason for this, he says, is because God has revealed himself through creation. Creation. What does he say? Verse 20. For, or because, here's here's what's happened. And he says, because since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made. And guess what? He says, therefore man is without excuse. Sinful man suppresses the truth about God. Not just in general, which he does, doesn't he? No question, sinful man squashes God, squashes his word, any opportunity they get because they're wicked, he says. 
But here, it's specific. It's because they say that he himself is the maker of all things. He himself is the creator of the universe. God has made it clear to mankind, no matter where you live in this world, folks, a first world country or even a third world country, that the whole of creation reveals him. It reveals God. And think about it, folks. Yet even today, 2,000 years after Romans was written, we still, still hear the most bizarre stories of how it all came to be. You still hear that. You feel sorry for those kids in government schools. Sorry, Z. But it doesn't matter to them. It doesn't matter as long as they can deny the existence of God. 2,000 years after this is written, do you know how much more information we have now? Do you know how much more technology we have now? It doesn't matter. I don't want the existence of God in my world. You see, folks, if there's no God, that means there's no moral standard. And if there's no moral standards, there is no accountability. You see, you get rid of God, you get rid of anybody throwing anything in your face. What's right, what's wrong, what's true, what's not. Because they say, well, who's to say? Their morality, quote, or lack thereof, it's just, there isn't a morality because there's no God. Folks, I have personally, personally heard stories how behind the scenes of some of these debates they have here and there, from uh, you know, evolution and creation, how literally behind the scenes, the evolutionist will admit that what he teaches is really far-fetched. He knows it. He knows it's just so far-fetched, but he will not believe that God created the world. He would rather believe what he himself knows is so far-fetched it's unbelievable instead of believing that there is an almighty God who created it all. Now, just because they lie to themselves, it doesn't take away the truth, folks. The truth is still there. You can lie about it all you want. You can not believe in it all you want. The truth is still there, and he says it's been there from the beginning. Did you catch that? Notice Paul says there, since the creation of the world. Okay? Remember Genesis 1? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. It's not just that it says God created the heavens and the earth, but that's when it started. That's when God's revelation to man started. Since he spoke, since that very day when God spoke the universe into existence, he made himself known to mankind. Notice Paul's play on words here in this verse. Verse 20, since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, and he gives those two qualities, there's more than that, but he gives two of them, his eternal power, his divine nature, okay? God's invisible qualities have been what? Clearly seen. Did you catch that? God's invisible qualities, but yet he says they're clearly seen. I find that a pretty cool statement. 
Now, folks, listen, we all know that God himself is invisible, right? God is, is non-corporeal. God doesn't have physicality. Okay, John chapter 4, verse 24, God is spirit, right? Colossians 1, uh, 15, Jesus, he says, is the image of the invisible God. And we can keep going, but for the sake of time, we'll leave it at that. It's pretty clear, right? So with God being invisible, Paul says here, guess what? So are his qualities, okay? But, but listen to what he says. But they can, those qualities, he says they're invisible. But he says they can be understood by the human mind as they are reflected in what he has made. God is invisible. His qualities, if you will, are invisible. But we know they're there. We can understand them by his creation, by what he has made. In other words, God's creative work. To quote John Stott, he says, The God who in himself is invisible and unknowable has made himself both visible and knowable through what he has made. It's a simple statement, but it's so true. We, don't, we, we can't truly know God, we can't see God, but he's made himself knowable and visible through his creative work. Through creation, folks, there's only one thing that's possible, and that is God exists and he is the creator of it all. Many of you know Psalm 19, verse 1. What do the heavens declare? The glory of evolution? Is that what you said? No. Do they show the glory of the Big Bang? No. But remember that. It, does, it shows the glory, right? It's revealing something about God. It's showing his glory. The heavens declare the glory of God. It declares it. It shouts it out. It speaks it forth. That's what, that's what he's talking about. The glory of God. And the skies proclaim the work of his hands. One commentator makes the point that I hope we all would make, and that is, except to a mind willfully closed to the obvious it is inconceivable that such power, intricacy, and harmony could have developed by any means but that of a master designer who rules the universe. So with that being said, how do we see? How do we see the eternal power? How do we see his divine nature? And by the way, Divine nature just means his divinity. It's the only place in the Bible that's used right there. It means his divinity. It's talking about all that God is. Okay? How do we see these? We see it by the glories of the universe. Let me remind you that God simply spoke and it was. God didn't get out his hammer and nails. He spoke and it was. 
Remember even Jesus, God incarnate? Remember Jesus when he was on the boat? Remember he spoke to the wind and the waves. How do you speak to the wind and the waves? But he did it, and what people call nature did what he said. He just spoke it, and it is. Speaking of Christ, Christ, of course, is, is God in human flesh. He's God. In Colossians chapter 1, verses 16 and 17, he even adds one more thing here. It says, for by him, Christ, all things were created. Okay? Things that are in heaven, things that are on earth. Things that are visible, things that are invisible. Thrones, powers, rulers, authorities, all things were created by him and for him. It says, he is before all things, and listen to this, and in him all things hold together. So he not only created all things, the heavens and the earth, the visible and the invisible, but he says he holds it together. That literally means he sustains it. He's the glue We use the term God is the creator and he is the sustainer of everything. The whole world, the whole universe, from from every star to every planet to the mountaintop doesn't just fall to do nothing, doesn't just bleh, go back to nothing because God holds it together. He literally sustains everything that he has created. If it hadn't been that way, the world would have blown itself up way before us. MacArthur, in his study, he says this. There's a bunch of stuff, but I just, it's, it just reminds us of the power, God's omnipotence, and just simply that he is God. He says the earth is 25,000 miles in circumference. I want to know who measured that. It weighs 6 septillion, 588 sextillion tons. But listen. It hangs and unsupported in space. Do you ever think about that? Yes, I like to know how they how they (laughs) how they weighed the Earth, but nonetheless, it hangs unsupported in space. There's there's no foundation under there, but it just it hangs there in space. It spins at a thousand miles per hour. Think about it. The earth spins a thousand miles per hour, but you don't feel that, do you? And it does it with absolute precision. It careens through space. The earth is moving, right, around the sun at approximately 1,000 miles per minute. And it's in orbit of 580 million miles long. You know, it's kind of an oval, right, when you see the earth. And it's spinning, as it's, it's spinning as it's spinning, if you will. It does it with absolute precision. We all know, as you've heard before, if the sun was just a couple inches closer or feet or whatever it is, we'd fry. If we were just a little bit off tilt, if the earth hiccuped, we'd freeze to death. But yet, it's laid there perfectly with all its seasons it never, with the size of the earth, the tonnage of the earth, it never goes an inch out of balance. The head of a comet, 
may be from 10,000, like we see comets shooting through the sky. The head of a comet can be from 10,000 to 1 million miles long. For you and me, we just look up there and we see this little string, but that's a long way. It has a tail that's 100 million miles long. And it travels at a speed of 350 miles per second. Folks, if the sun's radiated energy, he says, can be converted into horsepower, that's like how we look at things today, it would be the equivalent of 500 million, million, billion horsepower. Each second, the sun consumes, it says, 4 million tons of just matter junk floating through space. To travel at the speed of light, many of you know, is 186,000 miles a second. 186,000 miles per second across the Milky Way, which is the, the galaxy in our solar system, right? It would take 125,000 years. At 186,000 miles in one second, it would still take 125,000 years to get through our galaxy. And we're just one of many. The, the, the majesty, the power of God and, and what's out there, and not just what's out there, but what's on this earth, is amazing. His infinite power, it's just, it's unheard of. It's bizarre. We think of what telescopes today we have. What we can see today with the telescopes they didn't have anything back then when this was written, when he says they all declared the glory of God, but look at what we have now. Things they could never even see. No wonder, he says, man is without excuse. More of an ex less of excuse today. It's so visible. It's so there. It's so amazing. Have you ever seen the pictures from uh, like an astronaut takes when he's out of space and he shows the earth and it shows all these, I mean, it's pretty amazing. The stuff we can see today and people still reject the truth of God. Natural revelation is sufficient to make man responsible, the Bible says. It is. It's sufficient. And yet, folks, even to this very day, people still suppress the truth. They would rather hold to a theory of absolute chaos, unintelligent matter just floating in space by chance, organizing itself into a higher complex form, eventually reaching humanity. What on God's green earth you come up with that kind of stuff? Nothing times nothing equals everything. Second law of thermodynamics says things don't get better, folks. But yet, that's what they would say. It goes from nothing to everything, and then it just keeps moving itself to be more complex, and then here we are. But you'd rather, as you've heard, you, you have to have more faith to believe in something like that. You can throw a puzzle off the Empire State Building, and it would have to fall all the pieces together to equal something that ridiculous. And that's true. I mean, well, you... I'll give you a million dollars right now. 
Do we have a million dollars, Donna? Uh, if I do, I'll, I'll give it to you. And uh, stop shaking your head, Aaron. Um, you can never do that. You can, I'll go there every day, 10 hours a day. It ain't going to happen. And there's a reason, because it's impossible. There's another reason, because God created the heavens and the earth, and he revealed his glory to the whole world through his creation. It is, folks, a total rejection of the clear revelation of God himself. And unfortunately, outside of putting your faith and your trust in the gospel of Jesus Christ, these people are going to get what they asked for, and that is godlessness. That's what they say, that's what they want, but that is sadly what they will get. They will get a godless eternity. Because God says they're without excuse. Just the very beginning, you cannot sit here and say there is no God that I don't exist, that I have not created all these things. And as we continue in our study through the book of Romans, you're going to see more and more of the depravity of man. But yet you will also see the goodness of God. So I hope you'll continue to come back for this lengthy study. Let's pray. Father, thank you, Lord, that we can look into the scriptures today. Lord, thank you that you have given us the heavens, and the earth. It's amazing what we see, what we learn, and Lord, for people to think that somehow happened by chance is just, it, it, it's, like, it's almost there's no words. But Lord, you have shown us two things. You have shown us your glory. You've shown us your wrath. But I guess I should say three things. You've shown us your love. Because Lord, even though mankind steps on your word, it squashes it, it suppresses it. Your revelation, you've shown yourself as clear as clear can be, but people don't want nothing to do with you. And Lord, everybody in this room was no different. We didn't come out of the womb born again. But Lord, by your love, by your grace, by your mercy, you allowed us to put our faith in Christ. You've given us a way out from our own sin, from our own depravity, you revealed yourself to us in such a way that we bow the knee to you as the Lord of the universe, the creator of all things, the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. All things are in control of your sovereignty. You sustain everything. Lord, thank you for showing that to us. But Lord, help us as we go through these texts in the week to come to realize how sinful man is how depraved man is. And for that matter, maybe it will encourage us to share Christ more to a world that is lost. Lord, thank you for our time today. In Jesus' name, amen.